day. And, uh, and of course, as we just dedicated Molly, uh, it's a lovely occasion to be together. But let me take your mind back to a not-so-wonderful event. In fact, it was a terrible, terrible event. Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001. There was a series of four coordinated suicide attacks by Al-Qaeda upon the United States. Nearly 3,000 victims and 19, 19 hijackers died in the attacks in what will be remembered as the worst terrorist atrocity in human history. The overwhelming majority of those, of those casualties were civilians, including nationals of over 19 countries. And it has been described by many as the event that has changed the world. For most of us, we can remember where we were when we heard the awful news. I certainly can. Uh, I trained for ordination. I trained for church leadership in a place called Trinity College in Bristol. And uh, I, I remember the day it happened that day, September the 11th, 2001. I remember I was at home and I was, I was upstairs. I was walking downstairs and the news was on the TV. And I remember hearing the news, sort of hearing something going on in, in America and thinking, I don't know quite what's going on. So I went into the living room and watched the news. And I could not believe my eyes. I thought this was a disaster movie. You know, I thought this, 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 what was going on wasn't real. It was a disaster movie. And then, of course, as I realized, I'm watching the BBC News. They don't do fake news. Uh, they, uh, and, uh, you know, this is real news. This is, uh, you know, this is not a disaster movie. This is real life. And seeing those pictures of the, of the planes flying into the Twin Towers in New York and a dreadful, dreadful, dreadful things that then happened... And I remember as a college community, because we used to gather every morning as a, as a community to pray and to worship, and, and, and I remember as a, as a community, we kind of all gathered together to, to try and make sense of what was going on in the world, of what had happened in New York and uh, in Washington and so on. And like most of you, I suspect those images will be etched on my memory in my mind forever. As I say, our world has has changed forever by that event. But as we recall those events, some years on, I wanted us to go to a Bible passage about a life-changing event for one man that has revealed a world-changing event for every single person. And I want you to know right from the start that Jesus changes lives for good. Jesus changes lives for good. As a church, we're thinking through what we value the most. We're thinking about our values. Uh, what are those things that are guiding us, you know, that, that we're going to hold dear as important in our life together? And last week, we're thinking about our first value, our primary value, which is worshipping God. And we thought about what that meant and means. And this week, we're going to think, as, as Debbie said, about following Jesus. What does that mean? And that's why we're so excited as a church to welcome you amongst us. And please, you're with us so that we can share with you the good news of Jesus. So who is he? Who is Jesus? And why should we follow him? Well, he has had and has a profound impact on human history, and he's here to stay. So let's have a look at the passage and, uh, and look at what he says about himself. And uh, as, uh, as John said, uh, please do follow it. Um, I forgot the Bible page number. Uh, it's in your Bible, so if you want to follow it, who's got the... 
1003. Thank you. So do follow it with me or just hear it as I read it through. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, reading from verse 1 through to verse 4. Let me read it to you. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So it's a simple scene, it's a dramatic scene. You've got to try and picture it in your mind's eye because houses aren't built like they are in, 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 as they were in Palestine and Israel a long time ago. But in those days, if you lived in Palestine or Israel, uh, you would have had a house that was, you know, might have been joined on to another house, but it might have been set on its own. And in your house, you would have had your living quarters at the bottom, you know, like we do in our homes, and your, you know, bedrooms in the, in the next floor above. And then, of course, you've got your roof. A difference is, is that in those homes, 2,000 years ago, some even like that today, you'd have had stairs going up the side of your house to the top, to the, to the top of your house, to the roof. It was a flat roof, okay? Not like our kind of like roofs like that. It's a flat roof. And your flat roof would have been made with a sort of thatch thing, you know, like a thatched roof. That's what your roof would have been made of. So you've got to picture the scene. You've got Jesus who is preaching in the house. He's been invited by the family, whoever the family is, we don't know. And he's preaching the word. He's, he's preaching about God to this group of people. Now, Jesus is a, I mean, I don't use the word celebrity. I don't use it in the way that maybe we think of the celebrity. But he was a well-known speaker. And so he would have drawn a crowd to hear him. And so the crowd come in, and, and, and the crowd is so big that the whole area is packed. You know, when you go to a, a film or a, or a theater or a, an event, you know, it's absolutely jammed, packed, because they want to hear Jesus. They want to hear him. So these people who want to hear Jesus, they have a bit of a problem. Because they can't get their friend to Jesus. Now, the, the other problem is that they've got a friend who's paralyzed and they've basically got him on a stretcher. Okay? And he's on a stretch, he can't walk, and so they've got a bit of a problem. They can't get through the door because it's absolutely jammed out, can't get in, so what are they going to do? They think to themselves, I know, we'll lower him through the ceiling. We'll lower him through the roof. So they climb up to the roof, take him very carefully up to the roof, and then they start taking the ceiling apart. Just imagine if you're the owner of this house. What are they doing to my roof? They're taking my roof apart. And so they take this bit of straw coming down, a bit, bits of thatch coming down out of the roof, and, and then lower him, and they uh, manage to lower him down, down, down to the foot, the feet of Jesus. Wow, they've managed it. What's going to happen? Do you know the phrase, an elephant in the room? Yeah? This is an elephant in the room. Because you've, you've now got, pre- Jesus is preaching, teaching, uh, and, and he's now got a paralyzed man right in front of him. It's, it, you know, he can't avoid it. Nobody else can avoid it either because he's, in a sense, it's the elephant in the room. What is Jesus going to do? Is he going to ignore him? Is he going to carry on? What's he going to do? Well, we find out. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, This is verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, this is not what people would have expected. This is not what they would have thought. Son, your sins are forgiven. What Jesus is doing is he's setting up a showdown with the religious authorities. He's setting up a conflict, uh, you know, with those people who are around him. Because in those days, you know, you'd have, you've had your, your normal people, and then you've had your religious leaders, your religious teachers. And there would have been religious leaders, religious teachers, Jewish teachers in this audience, in this house, in this packed space. They would have been listening to Jesus. And it says in verse 6 and verse 7, it says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, What is this fellow, what's he talking about? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So these religious leaders, these are, you know, these are you know, important people in that society. They're thinking to themselves, basically, how dare he forgive this man's sin? What right has Jesus got to say, son, your sins are forgiven? Because what Jesus is saying is, actually, I've got the right to forgive this man who's lying in front of me his sin. And they're saying, and they're thinking to themselves, hang on, that's not right. This is blasphemy. Because only God forgives sins, not, not a human being. It's not, it's, what he's doing is wrong. And in those days, if you, if you were a blasphemer, you weren't just said, you know, you wouldn't sort of said to them, oh, don't, don't use God's name in the wrong way. No, no, no. It was much more serious than that. If you were a blasphemer in Jewish society those, all those years ago, you were likely to be stoned to death. So it's not a small matter going on here. This is a big, this is a big thing. So they're thinking to themselves, hold on, he's blaspheming. This isn't right. And you could probably understand their point. I didn't know anyone personally who was killed in the Twin Towers in New York in 2001. I have no personal connection with anyone who died or anyone who was injured. Uh, I have personally no connection with anyone. So just imagine, okay, just imagine that you are related to someone who died or you're a friend of someone who died in that tragedy in 2001. And I go to the perpetrators of that crime and I say to them, you're act is forgiven by me. What you did in 2001, I forgive you. And if you're a relative or a friend of someone who's died, you're going to think, how dare he do that? How dare he forgive your sin? So what's going on? It's a bit like that in this situation, in this, in this scene that's going on in this house in Palestine all those years ago. Because Jesus is saying, I forgive you your sin. He doesn't say, God forgives you your sin. He says, I forgive you your sin. And so these religious heavyweights, they're right in thinking only God has the right to forgive sin. That, that, that is God's role alone. And so that means that Jesus' claim is huge. Because it means either he's a deluded blasphemer and he's, or he's got an unhealthy view of his own significance. Or he's saying something very significant about himself, which is a life-changing thing for everyone. And Jesus, you see, if you take the time to look at the Gospels, you'll see that not only here, but other times, he forgives people their sin. And no other world faith, no other religion, no other philosophy is, is that the case. Jesus is the only one in all of the world religions who does this. 
Krishna, Buddha, uh, Muhammad, or anyone else, Siddhartha Gautama in, in, in the Sikh religion, none of them, none of them claim to forgive sin. And so Jesus, you see, is making a very, very bold statement, but he doesn't back down. He could have qualified it. He could say, well, God forgives him. God forgives you your sin, but he doesn't. What he does is he publicly is emphasizing that he offers forgiveness to those he chooses to. We'll read again verses 8 to 12. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Now that promise of forgiveness is not, are not cheap words. And not idle words from a deluded man. How do we know they're not just empty words? How do we know they're not, you know, idle words? Well, because Jesus follows through his words with a display of power. Verses 10 and 11. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Just imagine, this man has been paralyzed from birth. He's never, ever, ever been able to walk. Jesus says to him, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Just imagine, for that man, for that moment, he has suddenly got life in his limbs. He can get up, he can, he can take his mat, and he can walk home. He comes in on a stretch, he goes out carrying his stretcher. Wow. He doesn't have to go to rehabilitation. He doesn't have to go and see the doctor. He doesn't have to go and you know, have a, a splint. He gets up, and he walks out of that place a healed man. Because of the power of God. And the amazing thing about this encounter with Jesus that these, these friends have and this man has is, isn't the healing. Actually, the healing is not the most important thing. It's amazing, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing here is that Jesus forgives his sin. That is the most important thing that's going on. And when you look at this story in that light, it really is extraordinary. Because the healing of the paralyzed man is a visible sign that Jesus does the invisible miracle of forgiving us. Jesus proves that with everything we've ever done to, to offend God or ignore God, he has the power to forgive us that. And the crowd are right, they've never seen anything like this before. Never, ever, ever. This is a life-changing event for this man. Not just that he could walk, but he's got a clean slate with God. His sin is forgiven. It's not, an o- it's not the only one, though, that Jesus does this over and over again. A little later on in Mark, it said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus forgives people hands out forgiveness to them wherever he meets them. He gives his life for us, all of us. And this this gospel, this story, is 
of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the world-changing event for all of us. Because he offers forgiveness to us now. Not just 2,000 years ago, but in 2018. He offers forgiveness to us now. We live in an unforgiving world, don't we? We live in a world where grudges from hurts can be carried to the deathbed. We live in a world, if you slip up at work, you can, that, different, that slip up, that mistake, can, can be the difference between a promotion or redundancy. You say a word in anger to a friend or a family member or a word in anger in government or a word in anger in, in even in churches, that word of anger can cause divisions that can go on and on and on and on and on for years. And sometimes there's a refusal to forgive because the hurt goes too deep. And that guilt can be carried to the deathbed. And into our world of sin and guilt and unforgiveness and hurt and bitterness comes Jesus. He announced that whatever, despite the unforgiving nature of much of our world, God is in the business of offering us a new start, a clean slate. Because Jesus has been authorized to offer it, to announce it, and to make good on it. No matter how much the sin, even the greatest act of terrorism in history can be forgiven. It is possible to find a new start in Jesus. So as I come to a close, I want to uh, say that many, many of us in our church, here at Christ Church, have found that that is true. Because we're following Jesus. That's what we want to do as a church. We want to follow Jesus. Earlier on, Miriam um, stood up there, a very, very brave thing to do, and she said she wants to follow Jesus in her life. She follows Jesus in her life, even in a place like a secondary school. And our prayer for Molly, I don't know where Molly's gone, but she's probably at the back somewhere. Our prayer for Molly is that she will want to do that as well for herself as she grows up, as she learns about Jesus and, and gets to know Jesus for herself, that she will come to know that Jesus is worth everything that she's got. I've never regretted my decision to follow Jesus. I followed, I've started, I've, I became a Christian when I was 17. I won't tell you how long that, go, that was ago, but um, I've never regretted that decision. Every single day since, I have loved following Jesus. Because he give, has given me a new start. He's, he's, he's my friend, he's my saviour, he's my, my Lord, my master, and my God. And he can be that for you too, if you will let him. And so as I finish, if you come here today paralyzed by guilt or sin or whatever that is that gets in the way between you and God, Jesus can give you a new start and forgive you and be with you through everything. Turn to Jesus today for forgiveness and walk out of this place today a new person. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to follow you or maybe we're kind of wondering what that means to follow you or Lord maybe we've been following you for decades but Lord help us to want to follow you help us to want to know you help us to to love you as you love us and Lord Jesus thank you for that amazing amazing news of forgiveness and a new start in you that you offer to every single person on this planet Thank you that you...
because you are God, have the right to forgive us our sin. Have the right to say, you can start again with me. You can walk with me every day of your life. You can know purpose. You can know meaning. You can know significance. Lord, come and help us to understand what that means. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.